Hello, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles podcast, where I interview a virtual CISO about their work and life. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, which provides software to virtual CISOs that helps them grow and scale their businesses. As experts in this field, we have met hundreds of security consultants, and we keep our fingers on the pulse of the industry. My background is in law with a focus on data privacy and cybersecurity, but I also have a long career working with startups. In fact, my parents had their own business, which is why I love learning about how people build businesses. So I started this podcast to feature interesting people in cybersecurity to talk about their passions, entrepreneurship, and business. If you don't know what a virtual chief information security officer is, then these professionals are security experts who offer consulting services to companies. Sometimes they're referred to as fractional CISOs. Our guest today is Corinne Wise. I'm so excited to talk to you today, Corinne. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So to get us started, please tell us a little bit about yourself and if you can maybe throw in some things in there that are non-security related, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, of course, first I'm a mom. So that's like the number one most important thing in the world of three kids here in Norfolk, Virginia. And so I have to balance this uh, entrepreneurialism that you've been speaking of with, uh, with being a mom. And so that's one of the things. Um, other than that, I, uh, spend most of my days and a lot of my nights, uh, trying to build this, this, uh, what was a small business of mine, uh, from the past 20 years into something a little bit bigger where I can, uh, employ other people and make them a part of it. Um, and I, I just, you know, have a, a strong passion for cybersecurity. Uh, so I, I will just tell you a little bit about my background. I actually have yeah. a, um, you know, I kind of come from, all the way back in the NT40 days when, you know, I don't know if you know what that means, but it means that I, I know some of the very old, old Microsoft operating systems. Um, and the same thing goes for Cisco or um, anything else that you talk about. Uh, and around, around the year 2000, I really uh, got into network and systems engineering. And this is when the field was really blossoming. And um, there were certifications out there for people to obtain. And I hmm. uh, ran with that full speed and uh, got under the wings of some very talented people and uh, ended up in just the right places at the right time um, to further my network engineering and systems engineering career. So I, I spent a lot of those first few years just really getting good at that. Um, I had a background as a teacher. And so I combined uh, that with teaching and, and all the way through my career, I've always kind of been in the classroom about 25% of the time. So as an instructor, normally of some like higher end um, course, like uh, in the Cisco world, you know, I would do the CCNP track and became mm. a, CC, uh, a CCSI, which is our certified instructor. Um, you, and I did that with a lot of different things. And I still do that now um, with being a CMMC assessor. So, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm more on an assessment side of things. So as that career grew, it naturally grew uh, on the cybersecurity side of things because that is where industry was trending. Uh, and so I found that more and more of my duties had to do with e-discovery or um, locking things down, intrusion prevention in a manual way. Um, and uh, just a lot of really fine tooth uh, root cause analysis uh, things like that. And so um, uh, then in about uh, 2018, I decided to, to zoom in on assessments and uh, very specialized cybersecurity assessments. 
Um, and so on the DOD side of things, I began to take courses from the Department of Homeland Security that they were offering uh, to, to a certain subsection of vendors uh, on the GSA that I qualified for. And that was amazing. And it taught me how to do some amazing assessments that involve penetration testing. And I coupled that with uh, learning the CMMC assessment mm -hmm. methodology for 800-171. Um, and it's just been a really, really great uh, time for my career. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It kind of ties together everything uh, that I've been doing. And I'm able to really use that, that uh, pass that I have in network and systems engineering to help people get ready um, to be cyber secure and to protect our nation's assets. So that's where I'm at now. And a lot of the VCSO work that I do now centers around that very thing. So it centers around readying companies for their upcoming assessments or readying um, uh, an entity uh, that might be a federal agency for one of their upcoming assessments. That makes sense. So for anyone who's listening who may not be familiar with what CMMC is, can you give it a brief sure. explanation? Right. I was just about to do that. Okay. So uh, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification um, is not new, although a lot of people feel like it's new. I guess in the, in the grand scheme of things, it is fairly new, but um, uh, there is a uh, NIST publication, 800-171, that um, contractors have had a clause. Uh, it's actually DFARS clause 252-204-7012. It's been in almost every DOD contract since 2016. Um, and they've been signing that they are uh, keeping their organization compliant with this, uh, these 110 controls that are in 800-171. And so CMMC what's new is third-party assessments. In the past, when a contractor signed that dotted line that they were 800-171 compliant, they did a self-assessment and they entered something called an SPRS score um, in the supplier risk uh, performance system. Hmm. And they said, you know, this is what I've done for 800-171. And that was enough um, until the DOD decided to check and kind of take a look at that and study it and realize that it, it really, um, it wasn't probably on purpose. It was more of a misunderstanding about exactly what uh, 800-171 required of contractors. Hmm. That was part of it. And then also, I think people, those, the contracts are so lengthy and so deep that uh, many people are not reading every single line of, of what they're attesting to there. So whatever the case may be, a lot of people were signing that and they, they weren't actually doing it is what the government found. And so CMMC is the third party uh, assessment of the compliance with 800-171. And that is for DOD contractors. Anybody that wants to do business with the government coming soon will have to be certified depending on the type of data that the government is sharing with them. And does this apply to, I worked for a company that was, had a contract with DOD and that's public information. Um, and so does it apply to subcontractors as well? So the contractor. Absolutely. We call that flow down. Um, and mm -hmm. at the end of the day, what the DOD shares with you as a prime is your responsibility and the flow down. It means it's your responsibility to also ensure that your subcontractors are abiding by 800-171 as well, because you as a prime were entrusted with that what, what we call CUI or CUI, controlled unclassified information, um, or just federal contract information, which is a step lower, and you're supposed to protect it no matter where it goes, um, everywhere that it goes, including to subcontractors, MSPs, cloud service providers, um, everywhere. So it's really far-reaching. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
Um, and so your business is now focusing on, I, I think if I'm right, not just with the CMMC process assessing, but also teaching people. Yeah. So it. we do a few things. So I, I am an assessor. And when those assessments finally begin, I will be part of those assessments. But um, right now we're not there yet. We're, we're in a, a place where rulemaking is still ongoing. And uh, although contractors think they have, some may think they have a while to get ready. Um, they probably have about a year, year and a half at most. And it's already okay. coming down from the primes hard. They don't want to work with subcontractors who are not compliant. So we are helping companies get ready for um, this upcoming, you know, change and the fact that you won't be able to win a contract with a prime or with the DOD without the certification. Um, if you're exposed to that 800-171 clause that's in the contract, which is almost all contracts. Right. And this is a bit of a selfish question, but I'm fascinated by this. Um, is there a scoring associated this time, or is it more of like the assessors, assessors going to do a report similar to how you would see maybe in the SOC 2 or ISO? It, it, um, it is similar to, to other assessment methodologies. Um, and there is a score that's associated with, you know, um, the past SPRS uh, system. So in the past, you were allowed to have a score that indicated your progress with 800-171. That's what you were signing to. And you okay. were signing that, you know, uh, you would create POANMs for those items that you needed to improve. And you had to show constant progress on that score. Um, and we call that an SPRS score. Obviously, the top score is 110. There are 110 requirements. But surprisingly, the lowest score is a negative 203 People don't understand that, but every control, the 110 controls have a weight of one, three, or five. And you start with 110 and depending on the control, you subtract a whole five points or three points or one point, depending on whether or not you've implemented it. If you've implemented it, you get to keep, you know, that the credit for that particular item and your score stays at 110. But the second you don't implement a five pointer, bam, now you're down at 105. And there are uh, 44 five-pointers. So you can imagine if you multiplied 44 times five, that brings you far below zero um, yeah. in, this, in the subtraction process from 110. So that's the reason that people have negative SPR scores. It's better to have a negative accurate one than a completely fabricated, you know, uh, correct one because the DOD is, they don't want inaccurate scores in there. And they, they, they're targeting, I won't say they're targeting, but those who have been visited by the DIPCAC, which is the DOD's um, own little assessment team had perfect scores. Interesting. And that's the other thing people don't realize is when they signed DFARS clause 7020, which is a relative of that 7012, they are saying that the government can come anytime they want and take a look to make sure that you are complying with 800-171. That makes oh, sense. But That's the it. next, the answer to your question is in CMMC, it's all or nothing. You have to have uh, all 110 controls met perfectly. And there's 320 objectives total that are underneath those controls. So a control could have six hmm. objectives. If you have wow. only five of the six, then that control is not met and you do not receive any credit for that control. So it's a really, the misunderstanding out there right now, and I think all VCSOs deal with this to some degree, no matter what they're consulting on is trying to convey um, what's going on to, to the recipients of the information. So that it can be difficult for uh, executives 
upper management, even IT to believe that they actually have to do all of these things. They think when we first go talk to them, we always say there's a stage of denial. Um, they're, they're just like, this can't be real. This cannot be true. There's no way they're making us do this. And we're like, you were already supposed to be doing it. Um, we, no, we don't say it like that. We're very compassionate. We know it's hard. And we, we, we actually have a lot of sympathy for these small businesses that are trying to implement very, very difficult technical controls. Yeah. No, I, and the reason I laugh is because, you know, I come from the world of security questionnaires. That's what my, my company clear ops focuses. One of the things it focuses on and, you know, we all, I think the industry hates security questionnaires mostly for the fact that it isn't a requirement that you have all these things in a place. Instead, it's a subjective determination of I'm asking questions and you may answer that you don't have it in place and still pass anyway. Right. So, um, so there's been a bit of a training, I would say, that maybe a lot of companies have gone through when they go from a security questionnaire to now CMMC. That is a bit of a shock, I would say. True. Um, I don't know, just a suspicion on my part. So changing back to, to you and starting your own business, um, you started it nearly 20 years ago. Is yes. what you said, right? <laughs> what What sort of prompted you to go from you were an employee before that at a in an enterprise company, and then you went out on your what like what what okay. prompted you to start it? So uh, it's a funny story. I was actually a high school chemistry teacher, and my dad was working for a local DoD contractor, and he was like, "You've got to come come over here and work. You're gonna there's this thing, the internet. It's gonna be really big, <laughs> and you need to um, get into this. I think you'd really like it." And I, you know, I I was a like a first or second year teacher. I loved teaching, but um, I also loved the sound of what he was talking about. And I was very intrigued and interested. And I started going to Barnes and Nobles and reading some of the things that like the first, I think it was network plus or something back then. I don't even know if it was that, but whatever the basic networking class was. And I just fell in love with it. And um, I did go work for his company. Um, and by 2004, I kind of started thinking I could do this for myself. Like why? do I, do I really, and, and part of that was because I had gone from, from that time that he told me about that in 1998, let's say till 2004, I had gone down this teaching track and I had met so many people in Virginia beach, Norfolk, all of this Hampton Roads area through teaching these high-end courses. And, uh, the, the, the training company collapsed and I was, <laughs> I was welcome to go talk to any of the people I'd ever taught over all that time. So I had all these clients, you know, just all of a sudden the door was open to go contact. And I'd had amazing clients, you know, the leaders of all the cities and DOD clients. And so I took advantage of that. And that was really one of the stepping stones to starting the business. I got some really good first contracts deploying you know, at that time, project server or SharePoint or whatever it was, um, and a lot of local uh, government or healthcare facilities. That's amazing. I mean, I, you know, from this podcast, I've talked to a lot of people who, who are in cybersecurity and start their own business. And I would say by far the number one um, difficulty in starting their own firm has been finding that first or 10 customers. Right. So, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked them, but I'm now I'm like really fascinated to hear your answer. What is the hardest part about starting your own cybersecurity consulting business? So I actually feel like I started over and experienced all the normal things that you're talking about in 2018 and 19 when I decided to go full-fledged 
Um, I mean, I have taken so much risk over the past few years, not working and growing my business for once the right way, because up until then it was always, um, Karen, Karen, Karen doing the work. And I was trying to find that breakaway point where I jump off that cliff and say, you know, Karen's going to, you know, try to teach and grow employees and a company and um, I'll be managing the projects, but it won't be me coming on site anymore. And so I, I really shifted away from all that deployment work, no more SharePoint, no more project server, just only what I loved, which was cybersecurity. Hmm. Um, I went and got my, you know, finally took the time to do my CISSP, which I should have always done, but just didn't, you know, have the time because I was so busy. I took a lot of time off work to put things under my belt for my business um, like becoming HubZone certified, EDWSB, applying for the 8A program, getting on GSA hacks. Um, it's so much money uh, that you're not making when you're doing those things because you don't get, <laughs> nobody's going to pay you as you're growing your business. And it's just very, very difficult. And so now I, in the past few years, I've had to do all the things you're thinking of, like being creative about how I meet people and sell these services that, yeah, I, I know people and all of that, but now I'm trying to play in a whole different, very competitive, much larger playing field, um, playing, you know, I say with the big boys, but, uh, <laughs> so I do all of the things that probably your other guests have talked about. I just, today I've been at a conference all day long, right here at the Doubletree hotel with the Navy, um, talking to everybody I could talking to the small business person, um, going up to, you know, I'm, I, I seem bubbly, but it's very hard for me to walk up to people if I don't think they want to be bothered. But, you know, I've had to get used to advertising myself and today just saying, hey, are you ready for CMMC? Are you, how are you guys doing with that? And saying, hey, I'm one of the, uh, there's only a hundred assessors that have passed the CCA exam in the US. I'm one of them. I know there's a lot of false information going on out there, but if you need help, you know, contact me. And I made a lot of good contacts today. And I've been doing that for a while now. And I, now I'm, you know, it's starting to be where I'm booked, just completely booked from all types of creative things. The other thing I do is I hold a, um, a podcast every Friday where I teach people about that SPRS score. And I offer that for free and I meet a lot of clients that way. So I, I read a lot of marketing books, to be honest with you. And it talked me into doing a lot of things that I had been uh, maybe too embarrassed to do. I don't know what, what I, I just wasn't, I was an IT nerd. I wasn't a marketing person. And so yeah. I really had to develop that side of things. I also got on some platforms online and I lowered my rate in order to meet people and get the experience that I needed with certain technologies. Like I want to see GCC high. I want to see um, AWS. I want to see what customers have in there. And if it means I have to lower my rate to get in there, I'll lower it to $2 an hour if I can I know what I'm doing, but I want to see how different people are implementing these technologies. I want the experience and then I'll bring my rate up, but I've done, those are that, those are the tactics that I use. I mean, so much good advice in there, but first let's just quickly plug that podcast you're talking about. Cause I'm going to check it out. What is it called and where can people find it? <laughs> Great. Um, so that podcast is actually advertised on my website, www.wtinetworks.com. And it's, um, uh, basically teaches DOD contractors how to how to get into what we call the PIEE system and put in their SPRS score, the system just to access it and to know what to put in there and to know how to fill it out is very complex and the instructions are not easy. So 
I talk to these contractors about whether or not they've ever entered one. I, I try to let them know that they they signed the, the dotted line and told the government they were entering one. Um, and I help them take those first steps towards entering their first SPRS score, which all of them are supposed to be doing always. Um, mm -hmm. And if they're already doing it, I talk to them about how to make it more accurate. Um, most of the scores are inaccurate. They don't even know what they put in there. They just put 110. So we talk about all of those things, but mainly we talk about the system that's and how to gain access to it as an organization so that you can enter your score. That's and so, yeah, sorry. Very cool. Yeah. And so um, I'll, if you go to my website, it's right there on the front, a link to register for that uh, score. And I can give you the link as well after. I don't know if you do comments or something under the podcast, but. I oh, yeah. I take notes and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how big is Wise Technical Innovations at this point? How many employees or, or contractors Good. do you we're, have? We're <laughs> In taking all of that risk that I just told you about, um, what I didn't want to do is drag people through the mud. And so we're taking advantage now of programs like SkillsBridge. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know what that is. I've heard of it, okay. but please explain it for our, you know. So SkillsBridge is where you prove to um, whoever the SkillsBridge representative is that you're interacting with, that you have a strong enough program to take on some uh, wonderful individuals who are retiring from the military and, and they're in transition. And you, you get, you both kind of win because you get access to possibly an awesome employee in six months. Um, and they're still, they're still at their DOD um, position. They haven't retired, so they don't necessarily need to be paid. But what you are promising them is an amazing training experience, which is something I know I can offer them because I'm a, a licensed training provider for the Cyber AB and I've got all this training background. So I was like, wow, this is right up my alley. I can get the type of help I, re I need right now um, is... Uh, things I could easily teach someone else. There are these repetitive businesses and consulting VCSO engagements that I continue to have over and over. Um, and so that's the way that I'm approaching the employee situation. And I do 1099s. I did yeah. have employees, but um, that's my safe way as I grow of dealing with not uh, you know, dragging people through the mud or having to lay someone off. So I do it contract by contract, engagement by engagement. Um, and I do have a lot of help. I need a lot of help, um, but I have to be creative right now about how I get that help. It's got to be, um, there's got to be a certain level of uh, predictability before I actually turn those 1099s into employees and, and, sure. and the skills bridge as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a brilliant um, uh, <clears throat> program to take advantage of in order to, to grow your business. I, I think that's really useful for people who are listening um, to think about things in, in a different way, you know? Um, so I know that we're kind of running out of time here. Great. Um, I'd love to have you tell the listeners, I know you already have, but let's reiterate it again, where they can find you. Um, you know, what your website is and all that. Well, good. And the first thing I want to say is if there is somebody out there with the skill set that, um, that you think would match some of the things I've been talking about in this podcast, I am very interested. Now I am to the point where uh, the cup is overflowing. And I think you, you heard me talking about that. And I do, I am looking for consistent uh, full-time or part-time help. So please feel free to reach out um, about that. And you can see me on LinkedIn and uh, just search current wise, and I'll come up with wise technical innovations. I put a lot of content and training there. 
Um, and again, uh, you can email me at protect at WTI networks or call me, you know, at the numbers on the website as well, if you need to get in touch. Yeah, well, Corinne, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I really wanted to dive more into um, specifically your predictions with CMMC, because I it's one of the questions I like to ask maybe yeah. another time, another yes, podcast. I would love to come back. <laughs> but come thanks back. again. It's been fascinating talking to you. Really love the direction that we took today. And if you're listening, you can find all of our blogs in this podcast on our Substack at the Security Expert Marketplace. Thank so you. thanks again, Corinne. Thank you, Carolyn. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks.